What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Crazy Face Uno podcast. I'm your host, Shane McNeely. Just a reminder, Crazy Face Uno is inspiring others to do good and make a difference in our local and global community. And it's my honor and privilege uh, to introduce you to my guest. She's someone that I've looked up to um, as both a mentor and as a friend, Bethany Bausma. Welcome, Hi. Bethany. Hi. How's it going? It's good. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much again for for being here and for taking the time to to chat today. You bet. I where really... in where in the United States are you right now? Sam? I know, right? This is it's a whirlwind. I am currently in Coconut Creek, Florida, so South Florida. Oh, right. You yeah. just moved to Florida. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my wife and I just moved here. I've been here uh, just over, I've been here just over a, a month now, almost a month and a half. And, um, yeah. And you're in Seattle. Is that correct? I am in Seattle. And yep. if, if we give the listeners, um, a, a, I guess, a foreshadowing of what you're doing now, you know, I like to, like we were talking before, I like to kind of go back from the beginning, but um, I want people to kind of know, you know, where you're coming from at this point in time. You live in Seattle, Mm-hmm. And you are um, a psychotherapist counselor. I am a psychotherapist. Yep. Awesome. Uh, which I never thought that I would want to call myself a therapist. But <laughs> Here we are. That's what I am. That's what I am. Yep. Yeah. And for some of you probably listening and some of you, if you have just tuned in um, to the podcast, you've maybe never heard me mention invisible children but it comes up quite a bit bethany you and i met at invisible children like so many other yes. people we did yeah you uh, were what you were one of my roadies right absolutely yep i sure was i and was then in charge of all of the fleet yeah yeah we we just uh, kept moving on down the road didn't we <laughs> Uh, well, Bethany, we were talking before yeah. as we, yeah. as we got going, uh, or before we got going here, um, I, I like to kind of go back and, you know, set the stage for, you know, kind of who you are and, um, what's, yeah. what's made you into the woman you are today. Um, and I think a big part of that is where you started life. Yeah, right. Uh, yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> I usually tell people my childhood doesn't seem that interesting because it was my childhood, but yeah. when people hear about my childhood, apparently it is interesting to them. Um, <laughs> so I was, born, I was born in Alaska and my dad made a really big deal about that growing up. Like not many people can say they were born in Alaska, yeah. which I guess is true because there are not very many people there or from there. Uh, true. But I, yeah, my dad is a school teacher a uh, former school teacher, now retired. Um, Congrats to him. And he moved to Alaska with his 10 brothers and sisters. Wow. In the 60s, right after Alaska became a state. Wow, that's crazy. Um, and got married and had his kids. Uh, so I lived in Alaska till I was 10, um, which to me was like a very normal childhood, but yeah. not... Not a lot of people, not a lot going on in Alaska yeah. in the 80s. In Anchorage, correct? 
In Anchorage, yep, the big city. The big old, the big old Anchorage. I'm a city girl. Yeah. <laughs> 200,000 of us in 1984. Yep. That's awesome. And how long did you live there? I lived in Anchorage uh, the first time until I was 10. Okay. So you spent um, a good chunk of your time in Alaska yeah. then, and growing up. Yeah, like definitely my young formative years um, felt very normal, like all-American family. Dad was a school teacher, yeah. did elementary school, and then my dad and mom decided that they were going to have my dad take a leave of absence from his teaching job, and they wanted to try out short-term missions. Yeah. Um which at the time, short-term missions meant like committing to two years, not your whole life. Sure. Um, so it was like, we'll try it. We'll try this out for a couple of years, see how it goes. And so when I was 10, we moved to Dar Salaam, Tanzania, which is on the equator in East Africa. Yeah. Not on the equator, but near the equator. Uh, still so that warm. That was kind of a wild ride going from Alaska to. Yeah, I would say. Sub-Saharan Africa. It was a little bit of an adjustment for all of us. We yeah. enjoyed our air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to enjoy my air conditioning here in uh, South Florida as well. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. yeah, a little different climate than Indiana. Yeah, it's a it's a cooler day today. It's like 88, you know, it's fine. Oh, a balmy 88, yeah. great. Yeah, it's great. Sunny, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 80% humidity, you know, whatever. Whoa. It's, I mean, I, I'm throwing that number out there, but it's got to be up there. It's hot. <laughs> sure. It's, I mean, it's definitely fall in Seattle. The leaves are turning. We have rain, and it's. I'm wearing sweaters. So apparently fall has not arrived to Florida yet. <laughs> no, it has not. It has not. But I couldn't tell you what that would actually look like, so stay tuned. You're, it's true. Oh, your first <laughs> fall in Florida. I know. But yeah, so you moved to Tanzania um yes. at 10 years old and yeah. wow because i've i moved a few times when i was younger so i moved yeah. when i was two uh to illinois and mostly just between indiana and illinois but um and then i moved to another you know little town in illinois when i was uh first grade and then again um going into my seventh grade year and so those moves are are like they're big deals they're big deals yeah and i i don't think i realized it until i've gotten older and i realized how like how big they were and like the impact that they've had on me throughout the years you know yeah Um, yeah agreed i don't think i i don't think i understood i mean it felt like an adventure when i was a kid and also like well i guess we're moving yeah (laughs) if we're moving i guess i'll go along i didn't really feel like i had a strong opinion or um that I even was like that upset about it. It just was like, well, I guess if the family's moving, we're moving. Right. And as an adult, yeah, I have done a lot of reflecting on how kind of traumatic moving is for kids because their root system, their communities change. Yeah, absolutely. That friendships, those like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my, I feel like my family, like I never even thought about my dad and I have talked about this, um, in recent, you know, months actually, of like the impact that those moments had on me, you know, and I never really, I honestly hadn't really thought about it until then as in depth as I have. Um, 
but he, you know, he talked about like, well, you know, like we made a lot of decisions that I can see how it's affected you now. And I was like, huh, I don't, what are you talking about? You know? And <laughs> I was like, huh, okay. Like my dad and I are really close and we, you know, we're pretty open about life in general anyway. But, um, yeah, I was like, well, I, like, I don't blame you for anything. Like, I feel like I had a great, you know, solid foundation with my family. Like my mom and my dad, yeah, they went through a divorce when I was in high school, but I, I still feel like I had a good like foundation with when it came to family but yeah yeah, looking at those different moments you can you can see some things you know that kind of come out and pop out yeah I I remember when I was in college my mom half joking half serious asked me like did we ruin your life by making you move across the world (laughs) and I was like I don't think so (laughs) but at the time I was having a really hard time knowing how to stay put like I just kept traveling and moving and it felt more normal to be somewhere temporarily than it felt to settle down somewhere. And I think she was seeing that and connecting that to this idea that as a kid, I was settling and then packing up and going somewhere else. And that felt very normal. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it ruined my life. I'm quite happy with the the travel and the choices I've made, but I do think a lot about what would have happened if I had never left Alaska. And Mm. I think that I would have had a very different life. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Just the, the, the place that you were born and the place you like grow up, you know, or whatever has such an impact on the person you become. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, it's wild and it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, like things, it's not that you like fit into a specific thing, but it just, it alters and changes and affects who you are so, so greatly. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you get to Tanzania, obviously, um, you were in school, uh, yes, what was, did you go to a like boarding school or like what kind of school did you go to when you, when you got there? Um, yeah, so it was a tiny little, um, in most of sub-Saharan, like East Africa, public high schools are boarding schools. There aren't a lot of like drop in yeah. day schools like there are in the States. Right. Um, and public like Tanzanian education is extremely different. Like that was the first, I think, introduction for my family of like different ways that countries educate their kids. And it's, Mm -hmm. it was based on the British education system, which is very like exam based preparing for these like mile marker exams that decide whether or not you continue your education period, like in eighth grade or what's called standard eight, you're taking basically your version of the SAT that decides if you get to go to high school. Wow. Okay. So it was a big learning curve for my parents who were going to be school teachers in Tanzania to figure out. Ultimately we all ended up at a, a very tiny private Christian school that was, had been formed for um, missionary kids and families that were living overseas, but was also open to, um, there were a lot of embassy kids, expat yeah. kids uh, from all over the world, like a super, super international school. That's cool. Um, that was a little bit more of a blend of British education and American education. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's it was a very kind of insular, felt like a very safe community for me. Teachers from all over the world, but like Canadian and French and German. Yeah. And my classroom was much more diverse than it was in Alaska, but it still <laughs> felt the smallness, like 
I went to a tiny little elementary Christian school in Alaska. So yeah. my classroom size stayed the same and it, it still felt familiar, even though we were 10,000 miles away for, from what had been home. Sure. Um, and those were just our people for the two years that we lived there. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said in the beginning, I'm sure it's like you don't even think anything about it because you don't know any different. Um, right. Yeah. I felt like, oh, this is a weird adventure, but I, I guess right. this is what people do. Right. Go on weird adventures. Yeah. Yeah. How are you supposed to know any different? Um, the and di- I actually remember as a kid feeling quite disappointed. Um, <laughs> I think the Lion King had come out before before we moved. Okay. And I remember, like, telling my mom and dad, like, I was really disappointed when we got to Dar Salaam and we lived in a house and I, like, wore a school uniform and still had to do math. And they were like, why is that disappointing? And I said, well, I thought we were going to live, like, in a mud hut yeah, in the middle of nowhere. And, like, Rafiki was going to come out and, you know, teach right. you. <laughs> and they're like, oh, that's what your little brain was preparing right. for. And here we are living in a city that is in the developing world and is very different from the lion king yeah. obviously yeah how long did you guys stay in tanzania then uh so we were there two years okay so it was it was very much the short-term yeah. trip uh that my parents wanted to experience um and we moved back to alaska after that so that my dad could finish his teaching career and actually retire mm. um so that he could get a pension um complete kind of the, the teaching for yeah. the Anchorage public school system. And so, yeah, for seventh and eighth grade, I was back in Alaska and then we moved to Nairobi, Kenya. And that's where I was for all of high school, all four years of high school. Now, as you got a little older, now yeah. you'd spent some time there, but when you went to Kenya, now a little bit older, <laughs> did that have a different perspective or like, did you have a different or did it? Did you feel like it was just going to be what you had experienced before? Um, I think I had more of like a angsty teenager perspective. Mm. Like I was still excited to go. It still felt like an adventure, but this time I was very aware that I was leaving my friends in Alaska. Yeah. That I was nervous about if I was going to make friends in ninth grade. That I was aware of what I looked like and what I fit in. Yeah. I think I. I think my age was part of what had me just more aware of myself rather than like, I'm along for the ride. We'll see what happens. I felt way more aware of how I was going to fit into this place and culture and school Mm -hmm. in the way that I imagine any, you know, ninth grader going to a new school would be a little bit more aware of themselves than a fifth grader moving to a new school. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And how did that work out? How did you how did you feel like your high school years went? Uh, fine. My, normal. I mean, we <laughs> we yeah, whatever normal is. Yes, my normal <laughs> high school experience in Kenya. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it felt very normal to me. I loved my high school. Mm. I didn't love high school per se. I didn't love being a teenager, yeah. but I loved my school. I felt very safe at my school. I loved my teachers. And I had what to me was like normal, I don't know. Did I lose you, Bethany? Are you still there? Yeah, you're there. Oh, I don't know what happened. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, 
you had what like, was, I was like, on the yearbook staff and yeah. I played volleyball, but my experience of playing high school sports when I moved back to the States and I heard other people talk about their experience of yeah. being an athlete in high school, it just felt so different. And then I was like, sure. oh, okay, I didn't really have a very normative. Yeah. It was for me, but not, I didn't go to prom. I didn't drive a car. Like, Sure. I didn't yeah. have those kind of mile markers that American teenagers have, but I had my own that mm-hmm. felt important to me and my experience. Do you mind sharing what those were in for you? Uh oh gosh, sure. Like um you don't have to just hit the high points. You don't have to list them all if you don't want, but well, I think it was I'm trying to think of the right word. Like for instance, when we were living in California, right, Shane? Like, yeah. we get that there's a water crisis in California. Sure. So people were, like, not watering their lawns. Yeah. And that was a really big deal. Yeah. In, in developing countries, there are things that are normal, like, there's a drought, and therefore we ration power all over the city because it's a hydro-based electricity, and if there's sure. no water, there's not enough electricity to, to like, yeah, have a city. So... Yeah. Every Tuesday and Thursday, our power went off from 6 p.m. to midnight, and we did homework by candlelight. Yeah. And when it finally does rain, you're so um, relieved and excited <laughs> yeah. that class is canceled. Everyone runs outside, and you, like, wash your hair in the rain. <laughs> That's awesome. And that felt like one part of my brain is like, this feels like a movie. And <laughs> the other part of my brain is like, this is your real life. This right. is what's happening. Right. I know this is totally different, but like moving to Florida for my wife has has somewhat been that she's like, there's palm trees, you know, like she's just talked about, she grew up in Minnesota, um, her whole life. And she's like, okay, it's like, I'm on vacation. I I look outside palm trees, you know, she's like, when does the vacation start to wear off? Like, it's not like I'm working, but I still, it's like confusing for the brain. Like it can't quite compute. And, uh, yeah, it's a culture shift. yeah, Yeah, for sure. And for me, you know, like our, our California days, it's like, it's not, I, I lived that life a little bit, you know, it's different here, but this like beach, you know, the, the coastal life and palm trees and whatnot. It's like, man, it's, I've, I've been there, done that in some yeah. ways. Familiar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. What, as you started to graduate or as you were graduating, you know, high school, junior, senior year, the American yeah. tradition is go to college. Was that always on the yeah. forefront of your mind or what did that look like for you? Yeah, it, um, I, that's a great question. I think as I've been able to reflect on it, I realized what a privileged position I was in that mm. it never occurred to me to do anything but go to college. Yeah. So I didn't actually feel like I had a choice. Sure except for choosing what college I was going to go to. Yeah. Um, part of that is for a lot of missionary families, it's a, I think it feels like safety. If your parents are going to stay in Kenya and they're going to send their kid mm. to the States there, they want, I guess this feeling or knowing that their kid is going to be okay because they're in another community somewhere. Sure. And college is, one way that people find community once yeah. they graduate and, and leave home. So yeah, it was never a question in my mind whether or not I was going to go to college. The yeah. question was where, 
And while a lot of people choose schools based on the major that they want to study or the, I don't know, the reputation of the school. Sure. Yeah. I was like, what school is going to be closest to extended family in case something <laughs> happens and I need to call an aunt or an uncle? Yeah. Um, and my family was, I didn't want to go to college in Alaska. I knew that. Yeah. Not a ton of options up there, although there are a few. <laughs> but I wanted to be somewhere on the West Coast just so that I had sure. access to my family. And my brother had graduated already and was in Seattle. And so I applied to a school in Washington, a school in Oregon, and a school in California. Nice. And I picked the school that offered me the most scholarship money. That was my big deciding factor. Yeah. Which was George Fox University? Yes. I went to George Fox. Nice. Yes. And what did you study in your undergrad? Um, film, actually. Film. Cinema and media communication arts. Nice. Um, so I did six months of interning and working in Hollywood, which was hilarious and <laughs> cemented in my mind that I did not, in fact, want to be a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, but I got to watch a lot of movies in undergrad. Nice. And it was really fun. I... I had a very tiny cohort. I think there were six of us in that major at the time. And it was a lot of late nights editing and filming yeah. and writing scripts. Um, yeah, it was great. I had a great time. Yeah, that's funny. I don't know. I feel like I knew it maybe now that you mentioned it, but like, I don't think that's ever something like I remember oh, yeah. that you did. Yeah, like the film part. I don't know why that never stuck well, in my brain. It's kind of embarrassing but... to be a film major and then work at Invisible Children and not work in the film department, you know? Well, I guess so, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was an adolescent studying youth ministry major and I'm sure. doing podcasts now and have this thing. Right. So We've yeah. all arrived exactly where we need to be. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So you went through that, decided that wasn't for you. Is that when you, was it at George Fox that you found out about Invisible Children? Yeah, it was. Um, I was an RA in college and nice. Um, that's resident assistant for all you listeners that don't know my lingo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one of the other RAs on staff was from San Diego and actually grew up with Jason Russell. Mm. And this is all funny to me now because I know Jason and I'm not in touch with this friend from college at all, Yeah. but he came to a staff meeting um, and said like, Hey, my friend from San Diego just made this movie. We should watch it and like show our residents. And I was like, sounds great. And I like, he was like, it's, it's about somewhere in Africa. And I was like, cool. I, I, I know about that. I yeah. <laughs> I've been to a few places there. Yeah. So we, we hosted this screening yeah. This was before any, like, before any tours. This was, like, mm -hmm. the rough cut was, like, bootlegged. It was, like, a sharpied yeah. rough cut copy. <laughs> and we played this movie for probably, I don't know, 50 or 60 of our residents. Yeah. And it destroyed me. Mm. Yeah. And man. Is it funny? Have you ever looked back? Have you ever watched it since? I mean. Yeah obviously probably but like yes Shane, i've seen the rough cut <laughs> at least a hundred times yeah that was a dumb question sorry <laughs> <laughs> um but i just feel like i remember the first time i watched it as well and i remember the second time i watched it you know with, with 
like I first watched it for the first time with a small group of friends and then we, we did a screening yeah. as well and watched it with a bunch of people and the impact it had on me both of those times, you know, watching yeah. it and then looking back and maybe it's because I know too much or like I know so much about Invisible Children, but yeah, it just got it. It's like such a different perspective now looking back at it. Yes. Yeah, of course. You have so much context, so much backstory now. Yeah. Uh, not in a bad yeah. way it's just totally it's just like it's just different yeah it hits you different yeah yeah I think I mean I don't I don't want to say I have like an especially unique perspective but what was so impactful the first time I watched it was actually not the part was not the Uganda part yeah it was the first place that they landed was Nairobi right and like, if you remember the the beginning of the movie, there's like this little boy falling asleep in church and there's like a dance yeah. troupe and they're like rapping introductions yeah. of themselves. <laughs> and that was a place that I was super familiar with. I had mm-hmm. worked at that same orphanage oh, in high wow. school. I knew those kids. And so seeing, seeing someone who's making a film that I'm showing people in Newburgh, Oregon, yeah. <laughs> of a place that I have lived and loved just felt kind of like this brain explosion of like, what am I doing? How do I get back there? How do yeah. I meet these people? How do I get more like, right. how can I make my world here as a film major match the world that I moved mm. here from? Um, and it just felt like I want to know these people and be a part of what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. There was just this draw that I, I'm not that, you know, it's different obviously, but yeah, there was definitely a draw to like, how can I, how can I be a part of this? Like this is, yeah. this needs the attention for sure. Yes. Yeah. So when did you, did you graduate completely before you went out to Invisible Children? I did. Yeah. So that was my sophomore year. Um, the first tour, let's see. I can't remember if it was my junior year was the first tour, like the RV tour. Mm. We hosted roadies. We did a screening. We did the global night commute. Um, I did my internship in LA. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Graduated from college, spent a year working at a bookstore, hated everything. (laughs) Just like everything. Hated everything. And then remembered somewhere in that year that there were things that I wanted to do. There were things that meant more to me that would probably require me to move again, which I was good at. And I got back online, saw that they were hiring roadies for their 2008 tour, and moved to San Diego the summer of 2008. Nice. 2008. Which is 11 years ago. Isn't that crazy? Super weird. Uh, So crazy. Yeah, Yeah, and I I came on fall 2010. Okay, okay. So So, two years after that. Yeah, and then... um, But you probably... So Matt Muljan... Yeah. Was, yep. you know, he was the 2009 and then he left early and all of that. Um, yes. But yeah, so like that was that year. I had almost. With Matt, right? Correct. Yeah. And then I lived okay. with them in Minnesota uh, for a few months before. Okay. Um, I moved on, moved to a different house basically. But um, yeah, so like that, that was. It's crazy because like those worlds kind of collided. Alex Collins, who maybe mm-hmm. we can get into these two gentlemen because I think that they, yes. you know, have a part of you know 
a conversation I think that it would be good to talk about or uh, worth yeah. talking about. But um, Alice Collins yeah. is the one who brought Invisible Children uh, to Bethel. like our, to Bethel, yeah. And so like him and some other people did the night commuting event before we got there. Uh, so I wasn't f- right. familiar with that. But 2006 is when I first saw the um, the rough cut. And okay. so 2006, you know, it had been this thing. And then we had started having roadies come uh, throughout. And Sabrina Simmerhoff. Uh, mm-hmm. Simmerhoff. Yeah. She is the reason that I ended up actually deciding to go to Invisible Children. Oh, Sabrina was your roadie. Yeah, she was. And then she was in HR when she reached out to me and was like, hey, we need drivers and we need, you know, a male. And, um, like, I've reached out to you before. I know, like, you've said no, but. <laughs> but what do you think like, now? Yeah, I was like, actually, like, I'm interested. So we uh, yeah. started that interview process and kind of moved things forward. So. Yeah. Crazy. And look at us now. Look Here at us we now. are. Here we are. Yeah, and so you start off as a roadie, uh, which for yeah. those of you listening that are not familiar with Invisible Children, a roadie is like um, a traveling presenter. Uh, we went to high schools, colleges, places of worship, brought a documentary, shared the documentary, gave people ways to get involved through the purchase of merchandise and um, you know different different projects and different uh Shane you still got the pitch that sounded it. so good I got wow. it do you remember so this is this is I was thinking about this while I was walking the dog earlier do you remember my first because you were my regional manager yes I you, was your manager do you remember my first uh like Q&A like pitch deal when we like Ben Kesey, uh Barrows <laughs> you it was like and, um... and Lauren Bailey and then oh, we got up, we had to do like our intro and then we had Q and A and then, you know, you kind of got picked apart and whatever. Like boot camp for public speaking for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... I don't remember your first Q and A, but I can only imagine it was terrifying and potentially horrifying. It was all of those things. Yeah. there You had a lot of people, so I'm not, and I'm, I'm very happy that you don't remember it. <laughs> it was bad. Uh, yeah. I, I. I uh I had only one way to go after that, so that was awesome. I don't. It's probably good that I don't remember because the people that I do remember that bombed their <laughs> like Q and A, it was usually like their nervous tics that I remember. Ah, so there was a roadie who would basically do pirouettes <laughs> when he was trying to think of the answer to a question, and we just watch him like bend his knees up and down like as the answer was coming to him, and we were like, "This is not gonna work." <laughs> This is not going to work. Are you aware that you're doing that with your body? <laughs> oh, so I gosh. don't remember you doing pirouettes while you uh, were trying to come up with an answer. I don't think that was me. Nope. Nope. That one wasn't me. Uh, <laughs> I just blanked. Just complete, like, blank. Oh, but... it's so stressful. Oh, so stressful. But I, I, I'm my own worst critic, so, you know, I was pretty hard on myself and went back to the sure. drawing board and got things back on track, yeah. so that was, that was good. But I was just thinking about how it's a pivotal moment for me because I thought I you know I went through college as this I mean adolescent studies and youth ministry so basically all of my training was to be a youth pastor essentially so I had you know I had spoken in front of people I had um, some confidence that maybe other people didn't have yeah and I I felt 
I felt like I was going to be fine. And then it was just like, <laughs> nope, completely the opposite. And uh, Nothing like biffing it in front of your 50 closest brand new friends. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And what's such good practice, though? Like, we, I look back on yeah. those moments, and I still think about how, man, it really, it really shaped just a lot of who I was. It was definitely a foundational time in my life. Like I learned yeah. so much and grew so much and I've grown so much since then. And, um, yeah, it was a, a, a very foundational part of my life. I don't know how else to say it, but yeah. yeah. Totally. So yeah, you were roadie, became a regional manager. Uh, mm-hmm. did you do, how many tours were you a regional manager? Couple. Uh, let's see. I think I just regional managed for a year. Did you? Okay. Uh, okay. So I was a roadie, and then I was an event coordinator, and then yeah. I was a roadie, and then I was a roadie. Okay. I did three tours, so three semesters as a roadie. Woo! I planned the rescue. I was in the yeah. office as an event coordinator, and then I became the logistics and Ugandan yeah. roadie tour manager. Yeah. And you kick some ass so that was awesome (laughs) yeah i mean it was one of those organizations where you you fill the need that is needed even if you don't really know what you're doing Mm -hmm. you teach yourself and figure it out yeah we've we've talked about you know i've had a few people from visible children and it's funny because like my my parents my my dad actually texted me the other day he's like man somebody should write a book about uh you know like life after invisible children it seems like such a pivotal moment for so many people like they've got so many stories and they're out doing such amazing things now you know and I was like I I agree like <laughs> I do you're not like, wrong have you listened to my podcast have yeah. we met do you know what I'm doing? <laughs> well he did kind of mention me writing the book but I'm not sure <laughs> that that's something I want to do but it's a great idea I think but yeah um yeah so invisible children and then when or you know what was your path like after invisible children what did you decide to do and what led you that direction um well the raw unedited version is once upon a time at invisible children we decided to put a guy from uh, new zealand in a cage (laughs) and raise money in order to free him yeah. And I remember driving home. I was somehow selected to be the host of that entire experience on live stream. <laughs> and so I remember driving home at probably 3 a.m. one night after like putting Timmy to sleep in his cage <laughs> and turning the cameras off and driving home. And I was driving back to La Mesa thinking and let's be really clear here. I could have just been very tired. Yeah. But I remember saying out loud, what the hell am I doing with my life? And <laughs> something needs to change. Yeah. And that was the first, I think that was the first time. I mean, I, I was still at Invisible Children a year after that. But yeah. I think that was the first time I started thinking, like, maybe this is not where I'm going to be the rest of my life. Mm. And I really thought at that point to be working at Invisible Children for four years, you were basically a career. Like, <laughs> You were there. Yeah. You were a permanent fixture at four years. Yeah. And I hadn't done a whole lot of imagining past that. Well, but you didn't have time to, like, imagine 
beyond that. Like, <laughs> yes, like you said, it true. legitimately could be due to exhaustion that, yes. <laughs> that those thoughts came in. And yeah. uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility, though it probably had more truth to it than maybe, you know, whatever. Yeah, but. I think it just gave me the opportunity to, for the first time, be like, oh, there might be something like outside of locking Timmy in a cage <laughs> for money. Yeah. And <laughs> I sat with it and like, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I, I, I was pretty certain I was going to end up in international development, um, as a career path. And I'm so grateful for my time at invisible children and meeting other staff members who were doing that for their job, mm-hmm. working in Uganda, coming back, working with roadies and realizing I don't I don't think that I want that for my life I don't think that I want to live overseas right now Mm -hmm. I don't think that I want to do international development as my job which was kind of a shocking revelation to me yeah um so I had a little bit of like a identity crisis of like if I'm not fundraising with a bunch of young weirdos what (laughs) am I going to be doing it's a great question (laughs) (laughs) right and a friend of mine who, I don't know, we probably talked on the phone once a year while I was at Invisible Children, mm-hmm. happened to call me during this kind of season and was kind of being snarky, kind of joking around, but also not. And she just said, when are you going to move to Seattle and go to grad school? Yeah. And I said, don't you go to the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology? And she's like, yeah. And I said, I do not want my Master's of Divinity. And she said, (laughs) well, then come be a therapist. And I said, I don't want to be a therapist. And she said, why not? And I said, they're weird. I don't even know what they do. I don't know what a therapist does. But something about that conversation put it on my radar. I started, I looked at the program. I started looking at schools that offered... Uh, a master's in counseling or in therapeutic perspectives. And it was this kind of strange puzzle piecing together, this feeling that I had had at Invisible Children, which was I loved, I loved my job. I loved the work we were doing, but I really treasured the moments when people would come in my office and like collapse on the couch and cry. Mm. That sounds maybe weird, but no, I think when, I think it's such a part of who you are, though. Like, even my my first memory of you, Bethany, was yeah. you know like the you know how you the regional managers would pull like do one on ones with you know your different teams and the different members yeah. and like I don't yeah. remember our conversation at all, but I can remember sitting there and feeling listened and heard, um, mm. and just. I don't know. There's a there's an authenticity. There's a genuineness about you that I think has always resonated uh, with me and you. At least uh, that's how I like see you. Is just this Thanks, genuine, authentic person. And you know, I wouldn't say that we were like super close or anything, but I just always felt comfortable going to you. And I always I've always felt that like it's safe. You're you're Aww. safe. So. Um, Thank like, you. it's no surprise to me that you're in the field that you're in. <laughs> that I ended up being a therapist yeah. after Or that. that that's the part that you enjoyed because it came so natural. And Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's beautiful. Yeah. It, it has been a weird kind of awakening to that part of myself. I think in retrospect, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And mm, so yeah. I think back on what we were doing in Invisible Children, <laughs> what we were trying to change in the world, 
and the therapy kind of provided a kiwi <laughs> after he was locked in a cage. <laughs> oh, bless his heart. Yeah. In that, like, in in a in the kindest, most honest way, we were all being immersed in trauma all the time. All the time. Like the story of what, uh, the story of war, the story of child soldiering, the story of then who became our personal friends. It's like it's all traumatic. Yeah. And there was not a single person on staff that had any kind of training in Mm-mm. mental health in psychology and understanding what we were doing. And I remember it was after working with the Ugandan roadies so closely and hearing what was difficult for them about being in the States and what was difficult for them about being in Uganda and the relationship stuff and the story stuff where I remember thinking like, I don't have the language. Like I don't have a, vocabulary that can understand all that is happening here but we are all going through something that is really significant and really deep and really important and i want to understand what is happening and that was kind of the the impetus to get me into grad school really feeling like i want to become a therapist and come back to invisible children and work as a mental health person on staff who can speak to all that stuff that's happening below the surface. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. So that's how I, I mean, that's truly how I, I think it's also how I could tolerate leaving invisible children was telling myself that I would come back. Yeah. Um, Cause it was such a hard community to leave. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. Yeah. It I felt like I, home when I hadn't had a solid rooted home for since I was 10, really. Right. Right. It was hard. It was hard to leave, and so I, I was able to leave by saying, "I'll come back. Mm-hmm. I'll make my way back." <laughs> I feel I don't even know. I think that this is maybe a, you know, you you really struck a nerve. I think with me in some ways, just with that, that sentiment that we were dealing with chaos, and I don't. For me, it wasn't the chaos of, um you know, the stories or the tragedy, I felt fine until, until Coney 2012 blew up and blew up in our face. And I feel like that that's where the trauma came in because, um, and I'm, I'm not saying that it wouldn't have came out later because I think it probably still would have. Um, but I, I don't know that I've ever dealt with the trauma in the sense of people beating up something that we all cared so deeply and poured so much of our soul into. And yeah. it felt not like a, an attack on a company or an organization that we work for. It felt like an attack on us. Or at yeah, least for me, so it felt like very, very much like this is, this is every, like we, we put in so much blood, sweat and tears, like legitimately um, yes. in each and every one of us in different ways. And, and uh, you know, throughout the time that we spent there that it was just very personal. And, uh, I don't know that I've really ever dealt with it. You know, I've had conversations with people since then, but man, that's hard. It it was a lot. Yeah. And it was a lot that we didn't have language for. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And (laughs) yeah, that, that was hard. And then leaving and I don't, I don't know what your experience, I'm, I'm very interested in what your experience was like going back to school, but. Um, leaving was hard for me in the sense of 
you know, I feel like Margie had told us, she had said it a hundred times of like, you're going to leave here and it's going to be hard and you're going to feel alone and you're going to like search for this place again. And, you know, it's literally like Narnia and, you know, it's like you're leaving yep. the, leaving the wardrobe. the wardrobe and, and I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, but <laughs> yeah. man, she couldn't be any more true. And Yep. Yeah, it was. So I had left once already. I had a three-month, like, hiatus, I suppose, mm. between planning the rescue and then coming back on the road okay. in 2009, which is why I didn't know Matt. Yeah. Um, because he he left as I was coming on board. Got it. You- <laughs> um, but I had had this mini experience of leaving Invisible Children truly believing, like, that was it, and I wasn't going to be coming back. Yeah. So when I left when I left in 2012 to go to grad school, I think that I already had a bit of understanding or expectation about what it was going to be like Mm. and, and could kind of coach myself or walk myself through knowing what it had been like before. Yeah. Um, but I think so there were so many young people involved, right? That sometimes leaving invisible children meant you're leaving to not knowing what your job is or you're leaving to go to college or you're leaving yeah. to finish college. And for me, leaving to go to grad school was helpful because it gave me a new container. Yeah. That community. I had to, yes. And, and I that's had a what I feel like I missed is the community afterwards. Yeah. Where you're just kind of dumped out on the side of the road. It feels like, and you have to figure <laughs> out, well, where, what, what, yeah. <laughs> what do we do now? Yeah. With an inflated <laughs> ego and, inflated like you know you thought on top of the world like we yeah the things that you know and the things that we continually talk about the the people that i've had on here is how how invisible children played to your strengths and um like oh you're good at that keep going you know and and doing that yep allowed you to blossom in certain areas and you know fleet management you look at any fleet manager, any fleet coordinating positions in the country, and you're going to look for, you know, five to 10 years of experience in order to take that position. Who, who knew sure. that? Like, I didn't know that. I'm like, yeah, I got like a year, you know, like year and a half, you're maybe. Like, I know how to like, drive. That's what you need. Yeah. I got cool. you. Like, let's go. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like leaving, is just like, you felt like you were on top of the world sometimes and nothing was going to stop you. And then it very quickly came to a abrupt stop. <laughs> yeah, which is really also traumatic. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find yourself when you have made so much meaning, so much community, and so much weight to everything that you're doing, and and then to be like, "Well, I'm grocery shopping. <laughs> I'm gonna buy a textbook, and I guess I'm gonna like do some homework. I don't know." <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you jump into, um, or jump in, you went into, uh, your post-grad, your, and was it directly into counseling or psychology? Yeah. Yep. It was, um, yeah, I started my master's of counseling psychology in 2012 and that involves a couple of years of coursework and then practicums and internships where you're, you're you're doing it. You're sitting with clients and you're yeah. listening and you're 
thinking and you're making meaning with them and you're holding space for them. Um, and it's been so rewarding. I, my first couple of years out of school, I worked at a public mental health clinic. Yeah. Um, and now I have my own practice. I have a private practice. Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. It's so fun and really scary working for yourself to be fair. Yeah. But also so liberating, Mm -hmm. so empowering to get to be your own boss, make your own decisions and really cultivate and create the kind of business, the kind of, voice you want to have in the world and to hear people respond by saying like I want to come see you I want to come talk yeah I need somebody to talk to that has been such a gratifying experience yeah I'm sure yeah I think it's really awesome to see you you know I I I understand it's it's definitely scary um but yeah to step out and to to do that I think that's awesome and to take take control and take charge of your own life and um the things that you're doing, I'm, I like, I get excited for you when I see you post different things. And, um, <laughs> and you've also got a little branch of that called the Tender Wild. Yes. Yep. And uh, is that right? Can I talk about it? Yeah, I please. It. Can I talk about it? Okay. Um, a lot of my role at Invisible Children was teaching and training, right? Like right. you're a roadie, you're on stage, you're in classrooms teaching kids about central east africa you're then in uganda teaching roadies teaching ugandan roadies about american culture teaching yeah. american roadies about ugandan culture i love teaching um and i've missed that part of i don't run groups as a therapist i see mm-hmm. I, I work with individuals yeah and so one-on-one conversations are amazing and and really important but i also miss being with groups of people. And so yeah. Tender Wild is a, a branch off of my individual therapy practice where I'm creating and leading retreats so that there are groups of people that I get to work with. Um, and it's really around this idea that came from being a missionary kid, being the child of teachers who work really hard, yeah. working at Invisible Children, nonprofits, and seeing what burnout does to people. Mm. Mm-hmm. And really wanting to work in in the culture that we're in, swim in the soup, and say like, let's get out of here. Let's go to the woods. Let's go yeah. somewhere quiet. Let's be in community. Let's have meaningful conversation and turn down the volume on everything in your life, so that you can get back to yourself, get back to what you care about, what you're passionate about, so that you can take a nap. Like, <laughs> yeah, so that you can remember what it's like to be a little bit more whole because you've listened to your body and rested. Yeah. And so any way that I can get people to take a day or a weekend away, that's, that is kind of what tender wild is about. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm excited. I I was, as soon as you kind of put out, you know, you've got a few different things coming down the the line here and, I was yeah. like looking at him like, oh man, how could I make this work? You know, how could I? Yeah. Like I totally, it's a goal of mine to come to one of them eventually for sure. Yeah. I want to do awesome. that. So you will see me at some point in time. I, I can make that Great. promise. Great. Yeah. And, it. and if people want to, you know, check things out a little bit more, you have a website, you have social media. Um, I do. Yeah. Um, my website is the tenderwilds.com. Okay. 
And that's also my Instagram handle, the Tender Wilds. Awesome. Um, I'm partnering with Tyler Dunning, who I understand was also recently on your podcast. Yeah, yeah, he was, and we, we um, talked about it there too with his writing with the re- writing retreat. Yeah, just yeah, super cool. So we're doing a writing retreat with people. I mean, he is a writer, mm-hmm. and I. I tell, I tell people he's a professional writer and I'm a professional feeler and we're going to do stuff together. <laughs> that's awesome. Out in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think that would, that's going to be a really good time for those that are joining you for that. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. You two are kicking some serious tail. So that's ah, awesome. Thank you. Yes. Bethany, I, we yeah. kind of touched on it, um, yeah. but we've, we've dealt with um in a variety of different ways and and i know like each of us has you know experienced this differently but um we've experienced yeah. death and suicide a lot um yeah one within our community of invisible children and you know in our friendships yeah. but um i mean that's probably the the connecting thing for us but i i think in life in general you know it's something that we we don't get out of this alive <laughs> um mm-hmm. but it's it's something that is hard to talk about and isn't talked about a lot and yeah. uh i would love to have you know maybe just an open dialogue and just some of the conversation around death and suicide and maybe from you know a professional perspective on um, sure. you know we you know the people most recently uh alex collins yeah. um who we mentioned before uh played a big role at Invisible Children uh, in the music department and uh, Matt Muljan, who, you know, I lived with and um, also worked at Invisible Children for a a short amount of time before he left. And, um, you know, both of those deaths, you know, for me are are very personal and close and um, it's, it hits you in so many different ways. And I just, you know, I, even at Invisible Children, there's been other, you know, when I came in in 2010, just lost Nate um, and, you know, Tyler Dunning kind of touched on that a little bit, um, you know, yeah. lost him in Uganda and just throughout the, our lives, I mean, we've, we've experienced death in, in different ways, I'm sure, and whether it's family members or people we know, but how... I don't know. I don't even know where to start in some ways, but I can tell you that one of the things that has really came of this for me is my intentionality with relationships and not that everyone, you know, that's everyone's response, but mine has been, I've reconnected with my close college friends because of Matt's death. You know, we've all been able to get back together. We, we reunited for the first time in nine years this last year, this last summer, oh, that's um, sweet. which is awesome, you know, and I think yeah. it was healthy for us to kind of go our separate ways and find, but it's been really great to come back together. And even if the conversation wasn't around Matt, it was just reconnecting and in a way like honoring his life. Um, yep. And, you know, and since Alex you know, has passed away almost a year to the same, same time that, that Matt passed. It's, Mm. it's just really been one of those things where through the podcast, through this venture that I'm going on here, it's been beautiful to be able to like really reconnect with people and to, to truly care and, and to reach out 
and to say like, Hey, like I see you, I hear you. And I want to be a part of your life. Like what's going on. Um, And sometimes it feels so (sighs) disingenuine, I guess maybe sometimes, but it's real. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, part of me is like, what more could you want? Like, yeah. what more could we ask for in marking, honoring, paying attention to someone's mm. death than to, like, be with the people who are alive and, and connect and and be here now, right? Yeah. This is, this is the time we have. Yeah, I, I've had a rough couple of months since Alex passed away. Yeah. Um, I don't even know that I would say it was directly related to that. Although I think I've just had a lot of feelings. What? I just have felt a lot, like very, very deeply, like deep joy, deep sadness. I've been like, can't get out of bed depressed. I've been super anxious. I've been elated. Like, I think the volume has gotten turned up on all of my emotions mm-hmm. and it feels like since part of it is connected to Alex's death and this idea that like when someone's death feels so loud and Alex's death, yeah, I think because it was by suicide, it feels so loud yeah, that you have to pay attention to it and you have to find your way through like what where it's the echo is bouncing and sometimes the echo bounces for me in community and wanting to fly to nashville for his memorial wanting to fly to san diego for his memorial wanting to look people in the face wanting to reconnect but other days i think death echoes in these like in the dark places where it's sad it's depressing there's grief there's heaviness and that can feel so loud when people pass away mm-hmm. and that's the part that I don't think gets talked about or at least in terms of being a therapist working with people so many people will say like I've never been able to talk about that I've never been able to grieve that yeah. I've never told anybody that before yeah do um, you think some of that is like I mean even starting this conversation I don't even know like the words right like it's like finding yeah. words for things that you don't understand and don't fully comprehend and yeah I mean at all in some ways like I I don't you know when you find those words it feels so like big yes Uh, well I think like to be a little bit of a nerd for a minute go for it language language is so far away from trauma like Uh, when we experience trauma one of the parts of our brains that like goes into hibernation so we can survive it is the part of our brain that forms words and and like and language yeah so it's easier to express by yelling or screaming or coloring Mm -hmm. or drawing or painting or like working out or going for a run or like it's just symbolized differently but we live in a world that wants us to talk about it wants us to like how do you feel? Give me the word. Explain yeah. what's going on. And when we're in pain, it's really hard to find the right words. Yeah. So do you think it's like just putting yourself in an environment to like that fosters 
just openness yeah. in some ways or you know like you you mentioned yeah. like yelling screaming coloring working out like it's just putting yourself in a, in a place that you're you're open to those words coming to you it's almost like you can't force it <laughs> it's gotta kind like of, yeah I mean so Alex's memorial in Nashville was a party yeah like there was a church service and there was there was mm-hmm. a formal memorial but we sat together we ate, we danced, we laughed, we sat on the floor. Like, there was movement. It was very, and, and invisible children, right? Like, what do we do yeah. at the end of a tour? We have a dance party. <laughs> yeah. What do we do on the weekends? We're surfing. Right. Right? Like, there, yeah, that was there were beautiful. some ways that for to celebrate Alex's life, your whole body had to be involved. Mm. Like, a paddle out in La Jolla, you're on a surfboard and you are moving those like feelings that don't have words you're moving them through your body you're sending them back to the ocean you're you're dancing on a dance floor at a club like yeah you're getting to grieve differently than we've i think been taught to grieve or what we've how we've been given permission to grieve yeah it's like journal about it write a nice card right write a blog post all have to do with words (laughs) yes yeah gotcha yeah, and I don't, I don't even. Yeah, that makes total sense to me um, with that, and it's just so. It's the lack of words. I don't know. Yeah, that's like a that environment of of moving and thinking. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. It it brings to mind, and it can be silly too, right? It brings to mind like Tyler and I live in Seattle now, um, but every year since Nate Hen, which is our our mutual friend and roommate invisible children yeah every year on the anniversary of his death we eat whoppers right which like until this moment in talking to you i've never put together but we don't really talk about nate we no. go and eat whoppers and yeah. we like snapchat that we're eating whoppers <laughs> and there's something that we're doing we're driving to a place we've ritualized this thing where we're yeah. going to remember our friend by eating which is way more meaningful than sitting around Wallowing. trying to force a conversation once a year about it yeah we have this just different non-languaged gateway into that it is meaningful for us to remember him in this way yeah that's awesome i i've never i guess i've not really thought of it in that way so it's just got my brain going i did see this one um you mentioned something and maybe this will trigger what you had said but uh as I butcher this quote, um, <laughs> <laughs> I saw this thing. It was like, just because, uh, just be, what was it? Like, just because it's like something you can lift doesn't mean it's not heavy or uh, something along those lines, man. Again, I, I butchered it, but, uh, basically it's like, <laughs> it, it's like something that's heavy. And if just because it's not heavy to you, doesn't mean it's not heavy. Um, you yep. know, like just yep. because you can carry the world doesn't mean it's not heavy, you know, or whatever it was. Yeah. Like, and essentially, like when you look at someone else's struggles, and just because you can lift that thing, or you, oh, I think it was uh, just because you can carry a lot doesn't mean it's not heavy. Um, yes. And like, yeah, just because you're able to carry all this weight and all this baggage and all this, you know, stuff doesn't mean that it's not heavy, and that it doesn't, it's not heavy for for other people, or because just because you can carry it well, you know. Um, and I think and that, I even think like just because you can carry it doesn't mean you have to like mm, part of sure. I think how I feel about 
therapy or the retreats that I'm doing at Tender Wild is like just because you have great capacity to care for the world doesn't mean that's not going to affect you later. So like take off the backpack for a little bit, take a nap. Yeah. Stop Rest. trying to save the world. It's yeah. not meant to be your job alone. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Or minimizing your pain, right? Like mm. just because you can tolerate a lot doesn't mean you should do it alone. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what it was getting at. Like just because you can take a lot or just because you look at someone and they're like seemingly dealing with things well doesn't mean well, that it's not heavy for them, yeah. you know, and doesn't yep. mean that they're not struggling. It just means that it looks different for them. And I think that that's really, I don't know, that stuck with me, I guess. And, you know, you, everybody's got their own things and everybody you pass by is, is dealing with their own issues and their own, um, you know, things in life. And they're all valid. They're all, they're all welcome yeah. and, and. It's part of this platform that I really enjoy is that I, I text you, you know, I, I think everybody has a story and everybody's stories we're sharing if they want it to be yeah. shared, you know, and um, that's why that's I, really how I think of you, Shane, like my my visual representation of you in the world is just like nodding and smiling and and like here for it. Right. Like, <laughs> tell me, I want to know. I want to know your story. Like so much energy and enthusiasm around being present with people. Thanks, B. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm getting emotional with that. I, uh, yeah, I just, you know, it's been something that I've continually dealt with, but it, and I, I feel like I'm making really awesome strides in the last several months of letting go of the burden of what other people think about me. Um, yeah. That's a hard thing to do. Man, it's been such a thing I think that I've held on to for so long and you know, I've I've just let go of some of those things that I've held on to and kept uh tucked away, you know, it's safe when they're when it's tucked away and people have this specific image of you, but who cares at the end of the day? Like yeah. and and it's heavy and why carry it you know and like yeah what's the point uh let go of it and show the world that you've changed and show show the world like who you are today by by your actions and and by what you want to to give back you know and and give the world and so yeah I don't know I mean that's a lot of what crazy face uno is right now is um it's showing up it's telling stories it's putting positivity into the world where uh, in a world that glorifies shit and yeah and hate right, the and, drama the negativity yeah and and i just i don't want to be associated with that i want i want to i want to be associated with you know positivity and and i've grown up so much b and um mm. i mean even in the last couple of years i just feel the last six months i've i've grown up and i've changed and yeah. And it's like I feel I feel whole again mm. <laughs> in some ways and um yeah. man, here we go. Waterworks. Um <laughs> it's okay, I'm a professional shame. <laughs> <laughs> Look what you've done. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, but like it's just uh yeah, I just I I really 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 
been working on myself and you know we yeah. we ran into each other and didn't really get a chance to talk at the the event last year i know and but i want to say that that is that running into you at that event so backstory <laughs> yeah listening world is i showed up at an event uh to work with a staff of people as a therapist and shane showed up to just hustle like, what do you need? You need a walkie-talkie over here? Great, I'll bring it. You need, like, towels in this cabin? I'll bring it. You need food yeah. coordination over here? And I remember, like, running into, like, I don't know, did we actually physically run into each other? Because that wouldn't I surprise think me. it's possible. <laughs> I think we were, weren't and, you, like, in the same, we were in, like, the same, like, cabin or whatever. You were on a different side. Probably. And we're like, oh, hey. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, you being you. And I, I, I'm hearing you say that you're on a journey. Yeah. And like you're using the you're using the words like growing up. Yeah. But who you who I ran into a year ago was the same Shane that I ran into <laughs> 9 years ago. Yeah. With some growing up. And I think the gift is we don't ever have to stop growing up. Like yeah. we we get to talk on the phone a year from now, 10 years from now and say to each other like man, I'm still growing up and it's so rad. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not this destination where we reach and we're finally like, okay. And making great decisions. Mm. We actually just keep getting to be alive to whatever the world is offering us and say yes to it and show up with the gifts that we have. Yeah. And I, 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 I agree with you. I think that something that uh, I've always, I hunger to learn and to grow and to change. And, you know, like I don't, I think that's always been something that I've wanted and, and I've continually have been doing. Um, I think it's always been a part of who I am, you know, and I just, maybe it's, maybe it has been in the last year, you know, I talked about it a little bit um, with Lauren. Um, yeah. And we, we talked about how essentially like I, I think that event was a catalyst for where I am today. Um that's awesome. And it just opened my eyes to my my value and, and a theme that keeps mm-hmm. coming up. I actually did a podcast earlier today. I, I, I did two today. Um, wow. I know. Double whammy. I know. Double header. <laughs> but we – something that keeps coming up in more than one and it's just it's came up throughout this journey is living on purpose yeah. and how yeah. much – like it's just fruitful when you're living on proof it, purpose, you know, it's like you're getting the nutrients that you need and it's, it's healthy. And I think it's natural to like fall out of that. Um, but I think it's always that like seeking that coming back. And I think I fell away from, you know, what my purpose was. And I, I don't know that it, I ever found it after leaving invisible children. And I don't know that I've really found it yet, but I'm, I'm getting closer, you know, and I'm continually working that direction and opening that opened my eyes to just value and, um, you know, what, what I want to give to the world and what I'm capable of. And sometimes you forget when it's been, you know, what we just talked about, I left in 2012 and you left in 2012. So it's like eight years, like it's been eight years since, you know, we, we left invisible children of a place that you had immense value and immense purpose and every day you were reminded of that value and purpose by the way you woke up and showed up and uh, 
when I left that and, and always wanting that and seeking that, but I'm not sure I ever found it after leaving that, you know, and sure. And of course it has to look different. It's never going to look in that, look the same way as invisible children, but to, to not sell yourself short. And I, I don't, not that I have been, but I haven't really been giving my full potential. I don't think. And, uh, that was a wake up call in some ways for me. And it came with a lot of mental struggle and, you know, I depressed, anxious and, uh, yeah. lashing out and just not the person I want to be. And you look in the mirror at the end of the day and you're like, what is going on? You know, and like, what is happening? Yeah. And, um, just trying to, to figure some of that out. And, you know, like we've been talking about with death and suicide and, you know, our friends, that was, that was shortly after, you know, Matt's stuff and Matt passing yeah. away um, by suicide as well. And I just our relationship in general was Matt and I's was just odd. And so I don't know how much of that played into some of this, but, you know, finally starting to deal with some of that and um, just taking a real good hard look in the mirror of like, hey, what do you want? What do you want out of this life? And you know, quit just going through the motions and let's start, let's start doing and living. Yeah. Yeah. Being and awake for our lives. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just been a journey. It is this long story short. It's like, yes, I agree with you that it's a continual, continually growing. And I, I find that that's something that's very important to me is to never settle and never to necessarily be at this specific destination, but to continue to go back to the well and maybe and... maybe a better way of putting it is continually coming home to yourself yeah. like i get to keep coming home and being like where have i been i'm back yeah let's refocus mm. and then go out and explore and then get to come home to myself yeah yeah i like that mm. oh it's so good to talk to you shane yeah bethany it's been really good to talk to you too um have you been reading any books anything you'd want to Tell our listeners to. Oh, jeez. Uh, I know yes. you're a reader. Poetry. I've got poetry written down here. Is something you like? I do love poetry. Um, I'm always reading Mary Oliver and Wendell Berry wherever I am in the world. They're my two favorite poets. Um, I am currently taking a class, a nerd class on Carl Jung, who came up with like. Basically, the psychologist who introduced this idea of, like, collective consciousness and that Mm. what we think about, what we dream about is a part of a giant world story. It's being played out on the world stage in every culture, in every country, in every people group, and that we're all way more connected than we think we are. (sighs) I love that. Um, And That's something, like, that's... That's part of my, like, I, I've talked about it on other podcasts and I came out as like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't call myself a Christian anymore. And uh-huh. that was, a, that's another big step, you know, for me to just kind of like verbally say that to the public and to the world. Sure. Um, yeah. But that's very much a part of my like faith story. And it's not that I don't believe in a higher power. It's just that I think we're way more connected than yeah. we, like, than the Christian God. <laughs> you know sure and like there's more to it than that yeah sure. yeah it's just it's it's bigger than that and we're 
I don't know. I think living living beings, we have this like weird, crazy connection that's sounds a little hippy dippy, but it's uh, something I, I think is true. It's not hippy dippy, hippy dippy. <laughs> it's not hippy dippy. Yeah. I think you would like. Well, if if our brains are connected in this way, I'm reading Joseph Campbell is like the granddaddy, the godfather of yeah. like, modern mythology and how we understand mythology. Um. But he did this interview with Bill Moyers in the 80s, uh, and I'm reading a, just a book of that interview. It was mm. like, uh, the interviews were at uh, Skywalker Ranch, like George Lucas was like, use my property, yeah. ask questions, talk about it. And it's just so fascinating. Mm. I I'm writing it. down it's, notes as we go, so <laughs> I'm looking yeah, this up. Yeah, it's called The Power of Myth, and there's something just so delightful about hearing super smart humans talk about the things that they are super smart in yeah. that still have humility to be like, I don't know, that's a great question, or I don't have an answer for that, or yeah. like, I don't know, we don't know what's going to happen next. And I find myself like giggling reading it because it <laughs> is just so, it's just so invitational to like, be awake to your life live mm. your life it's a part of a story it matters yeah be here be in community and see the story that like plays out in the world and that it's beautiful and it's unifying and yes we live in a world where bad things happen people are unkind people yeah. don't take care of each other there's so much of that and there's so much goodness mm. alongside it yes yes so let's end yeah. it there Let's uh let's right. wrap things up. Bethany, okay. do you wanna do you wanna add anything to do you wanna tender what the tender wilds with an S? Uh, the tender wilds, yeah, I can send along those links. Yep, and I will I plug be... those into uh, the post and to the social medias so people Great. can find find you there. Um, no, that's all. I just appreciate getting to chat. Yeah, same. Likewise, thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. it. All right, everybody. Thank you all for tuning in. Really appreciate it. If you have a second, go check out crazyfaceuno.com. Check out our online store. Got some mugs for sale on there if you want to support the podcast and Crazy Face Uno as a whole and and what we're trying to do with spreading positive storytelling and uh, doing good and making a difference. And if you want to donate, there's also a donate button. We'd love for that to be something that you have the ability to do if you would like. Remember, do good, make a difference, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Peace.